Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Cody. My name is Emily. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Do, 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 do. Halloween! I hope you all had a lovely, lovely Halloween. Yes, we took off a day, so. Yes, we did, so we could hand out um, candies to the little trick-or-treaters. I have to say I'm more scared today than I was on Halloween. Why? Because of that Patreon episode we just recorded. Oh, yes. So we just recorded this Patreon episode, and Emily literally, I think she's about to vomit. She's so scared. I really know Emily's trigger points. So when I do the Patreon episodes, like when I did the alien encounters mm -hmm. one, um, I need to do creatures of the sea <laughs> or like terrifying sea adventures. You but could just talk about blue whales and I'll leave the room. But we just recorded a really eerie and scary um, Patreon episode. So if you want to be a Patreon and get to have access to some um, episodes like that, we would love to have you. Our Patreon link is in our Instagram bio, or if you just uh, type in Patreon Misery Manor, click on that link, it'll take you right to it. So I do want to shout out our new Patreon. We have Heather, who signed up for the $20 tier. Thank you so much. So so nice. Thank so, you. Yes, yeah, so we're going to reach out to you to get your free t-shirt. Um, again, thank you so much. And like I said, come out, come check out our other episodes. Emily just ordered some brand new, really cool stickers. Um, we send random pins. We say this every episode, you know, but we would know more bath bombs. That was a bitch to do. Sorry. Know, right. But if you did get the bath bombs, I hope you enjoyed a nice bath. Um, I know I did. <laughs> so yeah, come check out our other episodes. We'd love to have you. Did you do anything for Halloween? I just bought out candy. That's hot. I love that. Well, Josh and I went to, so one of my good friends, her name, you might know, has Lissa Edwards, the drag superstar from RuPaul's Drag Race. One of a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. Every year we go over to his house for Halloween and we had this amazing Halloween party. It was so much fun. Well, Josh. The way they decorated. I know. Was it's amazing. Insane. And guess who helped do that? Me and Josh. Josh did all the lights in his house um they like moved out the furniture we moved out the furniture Alyssa and i we went to home depot and we got all like the tiki torches and shit it was so much it fun so good we had amazing food it was a blast but josh and i dressed up as peter pan and captain hook Aww. we had a great 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 time so well, well i had dinner and passed out candy i love that we did that yesterday Oh, well, yeah, because it was also Cody's birthday weekend. Yes, it was my birthday weekend on Friday, and Emily's was on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we've been birthdayed out. We've been Halloweened out. And guess what's next, honey? Thanksgiving. Emily came over today, and I already have the Christmas music playing. Oh, my God. He was I, in a robe and just... I said, out with the pumpkin spice, in with the Christmas spruce trees. <laughs> oh, my God. Um. Anyways, I love Christmas. I love the holidays. I love being around friends and family. It warms my heart and i love the cold weather or cool weather here. i do too but my heater doesn't work in my jeep which kind of sucks well i guess you're just gonna have to bundle up baby <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so before we get started guys um i'm sure you saw our announcement on tubi Ugh. that we are on, on instagram about tubi <laughs> don't say uh. um so emily and i had the amazing opportunity to film a documentary called lights camera murder scream that showcases the murders of or serial killer danny rawling as well as the inspiration of scream yep and if you want to hear about our experience you can become a patreon yes because we talk all the nitty-gritties behind the scenes my anxiety emily's pizza addiction um mm. and a tornado oh, cheesecake that we got it like midnight. yes exactly so um. all of that there and more but please regardless download the tubi app and go 
watch because it's actually a very good documentary and we look good doing it I too. I wouldn't know because I haven't finished it yet. I'm mortified, but that's okay. <laughs> so before we get started in this episode though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. So I know you're listening on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So pick up that phone, honey, and click five star, baby. <laughs> My mouth did a weird thing. Okay. It really did. All right. So here we go. So this is why you're all here, right? So today I'm going to be diving into the horrific story of Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, a.k.a. the Lonely Hearts Killers or the Honeymoon Killers. Have you heard they of them? They were killed or they killed? They were the killers. Oh, okay. So you'll you'll see why in a minute. So are you? So obviously you're familiar with Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, Grinder, all those dating apps. Remember when I had Hinge? No. Emily went there a period where she went on three dates a day, so. No, but remember when I paid extra to see all the people? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, you are familiar with all the apps. So, yeah. So, Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, Grinder, all those dating apps are a thing in the past, or presently. Yeah, but here. before they did classifieds in the newspaper. Right. So before there were apps in the back page in the newspaper where people could list themselves like a dating profile in hopes to finding someone who's kind of in the same predicament as them, whether they're lonely, whether they're widowed, whether they're in a marriage that they're not happy with. What would yours say? And it was called Lonely Hearts. Sorry. What would your profile say? If I was lonely? No, just like if you were like, I want to find someone. Like- I would say... Like, if you had to describe yourself, whatever, like... I would say cutie with the booty, looking for a tootie. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would never... I don't think I would do that. Not in a newspaper. I would just walk the streets and be like, hello! (laughs) (laughs) It's me! (laughs) So, okay, so Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck are suspected to have killed up to 20 people (gasps) during a two-year spree between 1947 and 1949, using the Lonely Heart ads to lure in their vulnerable and lonely victims. Oh my God, in the 40s? In the 40s. Yep. So Raymond Fernandez was born in 1914 and spent his first three years in Hawaii before relocating with his Spanish background family to the town of Bridgeport, Connecticut. His father, who was a handyman, always treated uh, Raymond harshly for, like, unknown reasons just because, right? So he refused to allow Raymond to go to school and would force him to do the most, like, demeaning and, like, really hard work around the house and, like, on the farm. Like, this Raymond literally felt like he was a sack of shit to his father. So he probably had to clean up the poo-poo at the farm. Yeah. So when he was 16, Raymond and two other boys stole two chickens and the other boys' families paid the bill to release them from jail, but Raymond's father refused and therefore had his son sent in prison for two months. <gasps> two months? He was like, for sorry, chickens? for two chickens. Two months, two chickens. Um, but yeah, he was like, sorry, learn your lesson, sit your ass in prison, which I'm like, I think my mom would do that to me too. <laughs> for two months. But he wasn't doing it to teach him a lesson. He was just doing it to be spiteful. Well, he probably didn't want to waste the money to get him out either. Right. So at 17 years old, Raymond moved all the way to Spain because he has relatives there. And he spent time working on his uncle's farm. So he was tending to the animals and he really enjoyed his time there. He had a lot of fun. Him and his uncle were really close. And Is he that just, dad's brother? Yes. And he just loved being there, right? So while there, Raymond actually fell in love with a girl who lived near his uncle's farm. And her name was, and I'm going to butcher this, but this is a crazy name. Her name is Encarnacion Robles. I think I did that pretty good. Encarnacion Robles. So Raymond knew that this girl was the one for him and the two quickly fell in love. So three years later, the couple was married by 1935. And at this point, Raymond was 20 and the two had four children together. So Raymond loved his wife dearly, but was not prepared to raise a family. Well, fucking wrap your whacker before you attack her, fool. You got four kids. have condoms back then? No, but I'm sure they have like Walmart bags. They didn't have Walmart bags. Maybe they'd use like corn husks. Oh, so again, he was not prepared to raise a family. So he was in and he was like ambitious, right? Like he was like, I'm ambitious. I'm driven. I don't really have time to raise a family. And so by 1939, 
Ray, uh, Raymond just up and left his wife and children and just was like, I'm going to go join the military for World War II. Like, sorry, bye. And just left them high and dry. Okay, bye. So Raymond went on to serve first in the Spanish Merchant Marines and then later the British Intelligence Service. So officials saw him as loyal, diligent, and thought very highly of him and his work ethic. They noted that he carried out his difficult and dangerous duties to the best of his abilities and did a very, very good job. So he had, a, he had built a really high name for himself within the military. Okay. So after the war, Raymond was excited to head back to America from Spain and left his family behind. And he was eager to kind of just start a new life for himself. He had big dreams, big aspirations, and the war gave him a sense of like belonging and pride. And he was just very, um, he knew that he was going to do great things. So he was ready to conquer whatever challenges came his way. He was like, I fought in war. I'm, I'm, I'm unstoppable, right? But the trip home was a fatal one. So on board the ship, Raymond suffered a terrible accident. So a steel hatch from the ship, like up above, fell directly onto his head and fractured his skull, causing severe damage to his frontal lobe. So after being treated at the hospital and surgeries later, Raymond was very different, to say the least. That's so, scary. And, you know, in past episodes, you and I have discussed the importance of the frontal lobe, especially like as an adolescent, like growing mm -hmm. up and what that can do to you if it's damaged, right? So damage. Ted Bundy was hit in the head with a swing. Or Angel something. Resendez oh. in the frontal lobe. Um, all those people, right? So the frontal lobe is the area of the brain that is responsible for memory formation, impulse control, and even empathy that has been associated with violent crime. So the head trauma that Raymond suffered could have made him less cautious, more aggressive, very reckless, and even addicted to sex. Okay. So once he was released from the hospital, his career aspirations and goals in life were a thing in the past. He no longer cared about those things like he once did. So Raymond was actually arrested in Mobile, Alabama, and charged with robbery for trying to pass uh, stolen clothing through customs. So Raymond uh, pled guilty to the charge, but claimed that he did not resist his actions and that he didn't know why he did it to begin with. He was like, I don't know why I did it. I just did it. How did they know they were stolen? I guess they had the tags on them and they traced them back. I don't know, but he was, uh, they knew it was stolen when they went through customs. So weird. So he was only sentenced to one year and he was imprisoned in Tallahassee, Florida. But once in prison, Raymond fell into an even darker time period. To make matters worse, Raymond's cellmate was into the occult and was happy to share his knowledge of voodoo and black magic with rituals, beliefs, spells, and hypnotism with Raymond. So Raymond saw this as an awesome opportunity and he loved learning about it. He believed that he could use his new supernatural skill that he learned from his cellmate to seduce women, like not in a romantic way. He later- Why didn't they just get themselves out of, I mean- Right. He later claimed that black magic gave him irres irresistible powers to charm women. So that Ew. was his, right. <laughs> so once Raymond was released from prison in 1946, he moved to New York City and wasted no time putting his plan in action that he thought about in prison. So Raymond looked through personal ads in local newspapers looking for women who seemed lonely, who seemed vulnerable, and who just seemed weak. But no so contact with his family. No. Okay. He's here by himself. So once he found a woman who fit that, he responded to their ads with charming, thoughtful letters describing his military service and his deep desire to settle down and treat these women like queens. Ew. So in efforts to hide his massive scar um, from the ship accident, he started wearing a wig, which he thought made him look really, really, really handsome. A wig or a toupee? No, like a full wig with like down uh -huh. the sides and everything. Okay. So, and he was like, I look really handsome. Like he had a new, like he had confidence because the gash was pretty big on that forehead. So once he met his target, he swept her off her feet and gained her trust. Raymond would steal their money, jewelry, or anything of value that he could find and then would just leave them high and dry. Okay. So sadly, most of Raymond's victims were likely too embarrassed to report him. And this allowed Raymond to continue the scheme and go undetected for at least like a year. It is unknown how uh, unknown how many people Raymond was able to con over his years. So I'm going to get into why they think 20 later, um, but there's no proven number that it is 20. That's just what they think. 
and I'm going to get into that later. So one that he targeted was 27-year-old Martha Beck, who uh, Raymond began writing in 1947. He had no idea he was about to meet his fucking match, though. So she was born in 1920 in Florida, and her name is Martha Jewel Seabrook. Um, She grew up feeling like an oddball, though. So Martha had a glandular condition that caused her to gain massive amount of weight. And she went through puberty at a very, very early age, like around eight or nine. So she was very mature. She was super obese um, while all these little kids are around her. Right. So due to her appearance, she was made fun of in school and she had like no friends. So she was like so dumb. So she was like a loner. So Martha's life took an even darker turn when she entered her teenage years. So when she was 13, she was raped by her older (gasps) brother leaving Martha with even more self-esteem issues than she already had. So Martha claimed that when she told her mother about what had happened, her mother beat her and told Martha that she was responsible for it, not her brother. So feeling alone and defeated, Martha ran away from home when she was a teenager and she joined a traveling circus. So I don't know what her role was at the circus, but... Jesus. I did chuckle a little bit. And this lady's a monster, so feel free to laugh whenever you want. Oh, she is? Oh, she's horrible. Oh. She's... She doesn't die? She's the killer. Oh, fuck. Okay. (laughs) So, despite her struggles... She's probably a tightrope walker. I think she's the bearded lady. So, (laughs) despite her struggles, Martha wanted to beat the odds and work hard to lead a successful life. So, she was not going to let these things hold her back, though. So, after Martha finished school and came off tour with the circus, she studied nursing, but she had trouble finding a job due to her weight. So, she she was just winded a lot. She was very slow to go to the patient's rooms and just wasn't a good look. I was like, a good look? Like, I don't know. I guess they didn't want big old hissy bassy walking down the hallway. I don't know. But it just that said, was so terrible. It just said she had a really hard time due to her weight. And I'm assuming it had to do with either, I don't like know. Like there was like health concerns. Health concerns. Maybe she was like slow, like to get to things that they needed. Or maybe okay. it was just, you know, as a nurse, you're on your feet a lot. And I think it was just very demanding for her, you know? Oh, okay. I thought you meant they didn't hire her because of the way she looked. And I was oh, like, no, 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 no. I think like she was, and you'll see, she gets a lot of nursing jobs, but she gets fired because of her like laziness and like her inability to do I'm some sort to of stuff. people. <laughs> right. So... She eventually just settled for an undertaker's assistant at a funeral home, and she prepped female bodies for burial. Burial. So Martha eventually quit that job, though, and moved to California, where she was finally able to get a job at a nurse at an army hospital. So she was excited. She was so thrilled. They loved her, and she did a really good job there. So things are starting to look great for Martha, right? I love, yes. Wrong. Oh, I like their costumes back there. Our uniforms. Sorry. Oh, I know. With the little hat thing. It makes me think of Richard's backstory, though. Yes. Yeah. So things are looking good for Martha. Right? No. No, baby. At least not for her personal life. So Martha had met a man, and the two dated for a while. Until one day, Martha found out that she was pregnant. So during this time... It was unthinkable for a woman to have a baby without being married. So Martha told him, she was like, hey, we need to get married if we want to have this children. And this this child and this man refused and basically left Martha high and dry, like pregnant at all. And then he killed himself. (gasps) I was like, right, just committed suicide. So ashamed and sad and she blamed herself. Martha packed up her belongings, returned to Florida to have her baby. And she told her friends and family that the baby's father had died tragically at war. And she made this whole story up about how how it had happened. And it was quite convincing. Okay. So convincing that her story was published in the local newspaper. Paper, and, like, everybody was talking about it. People were reaching out to her, sending their condolences and everything. Like, asking, like, what can we do? Here's, you know, dinner. Like, what can we do for you? We are so sorry that this happened to you. Because she had made this very detailed story up so martha was determined though not to raise this baby alone she wanted to find her true love so soon after we can't even find men if we don't have a baby right soon after giving birth to her daughter she became involved with a bus driver named alex beck and got pregnant again the couple were briefly married and then divorced after six months they had the same last name well they got married and oh right so now 
Martha is a single mother of two children. She's 26 year old. She's fearful that she's never going to find love and she's just wanting it so bad. Um, so I'm sure you're thinking, okay, so how does Martha and Raymond cross paths, right? So Martha, who's unemployed and a single mother of two, escaped into this fantasy world, right? She started buying romance magazines and novels and she was watching romantic movies and she was just like, I really need to find love. Like, I'm so lonely. How was she buying things if she didn't have a job? Well, she's had jobs. I'm sure she saved some sort of fucking money. She was a funeral assistant. I don't know. So it didn't take her long before she found work again as a nurse. So on February 15th, 1946, she began working as uh, at a residence for disabled children and was quickly promoted to director in the fall. She was super excited. But despite this professional success, she also became an alcoholic and she fell into a deep, dark depression. Martha claimed to her coworkers and to people that knew her that she was lonely and she just wanted some love and attention. She couldn't get that from her kids? She wanted a man, honey. So in 1947, Martha placed a Lonely Hearts ad in the paper, hoping and praying that her Prince Charming would come sweeping her off her feet. Sure enough, Raymond Fernandez slid up in those DMs Aww. back in the day. He was accomplished. He was ambitious. And based on the photographs he had sent her, she thought he was pretty handsome, wig and all which is an added bonus. So the two exchanged letters back and forth and they seem to be getting along great. Okay. So Raymond had some really odd requests. So in one letter, he requested a lock of Martha's hair, explaining that he really wanted to use it to do some voodoo practicing. Yeah, no. And Martha did not blink an eye. She was like, okay, rad, let's do it. <laughs> she didn't say it like that, but she, oh, was like, she didn't blink an eye. She was like, okay, yeah. And she sent it off to him. Where do you think she got the hair from? Her. <laughs> well, he said a lock of hair. I hope she don't got a wig down there. So in December of 1947, 33-year-old Raymond flew to Florida to meet Martha in person for the very first time. Oh. So after meeting Martha, Raymond was like, nah, not what I expected. And he broke it off with her like very quickly and took his ass back home. So Martha, though, she had no intentions of letting Raymond go that easy. She was like, this is my man, honey. You ain't going nowhere. So in January, Martha lost her job as a nurse again because she was, like, not showing up to work. She was being lazy, and they were just concerned. So although she was devastated about losing her job, she started to look at it at the positive. She was like, you know what? Since I don't have a job tying me down here in Florida, why don't I just pack my belongings up? load the children up and move to New York where Raymond is. That is weird. So she appeared on Raymond's doorstep with her two children and by her side and their luggage. And he was like, Oh, hi, what are you doing here? Martha? She was like, I lost my job. I don't know what to do. I was thinking we could just come stay with you. So Raymond felt bad for Martha's situation. He's like, okay, you can stay here, but under one condition, the children gotta go. <gasps> so a few days later, 26-year-old Martha dropped her son and daughter off at the local Salvation Army and, and like ran away and moved in with Raymond. Just dropped him off. Here you go. Go in there. And took off. So in exchange, Raymond opened up to her. He told her about the lonely women he had conned and the family he turned his back on in Spain. And then like rather than alarming her, like hearing the truth about this, Martha was like intrigued and she was infatuated with Raymond. She thought, you know, them two would be a great duo. So wow. Raymond nor Martha had regular employment at this time and money was very tight, especially living in New York City, right? Yeah. So Raymond couldn't afford to give up his lonely heart scam and Martha didn't ask him to. In fact, she was like, hey, I can help you. Let me be your partner in crime. Did they So 40-year-old Esther Heine, I think it's Heine, Heine or Heine, was a Pennsylvanian school teacher who fell for Raymond's scheme that February. So before the month was over, Raymond and Esther had gotten married in a Virginia County clerk's office. When Raymond returned to his New York apartment with his new wife, they were greeted by Martha. So that's what he would do. He would meet these women, mm -hmm. hit it off with them, and get married very quickly. Jeez. So he takes his new wife to his apartment and he, she's greeted by Martha. 
who introduced herself to Esther as Raymond's sister. She was like, congrats, you two. Hi, I'm Martha. I'm Raymond's sister. Welcome. So Esther found it very odd that Raymond shared an apartment with his adult sister. However, it seems she accepted the agreement, at least initially. So unfortunately for her, things only got weirder from there. Unfortunately, the newlyweds bliss did not last that long. Although Raymond kept up his polite, smooth talking act for a few days, his true colors began to show eventually. So in an interview years later, Esther recalled that Raymond, quote, gave her tongue lashings after she refused to sign over her insurance policies and teachers' pensions to him. Tongue? Like, yelled at him. Like a, a tongue oh, lashing. Oh, I was like, wait a second. No, not, yeah. <laughs> so after this, Esther was scared and told Raymond and Martha she wanted to leave and that she was no longer happy. So knowing that Esther was going to leave soon, Martha and Raymond stole hundreds of dollars from Esther before she was finally able to make it back home to Pennsylvania. At least she escaped. Right. She got her honey out of there. Yeah. So the couple left New York for a while. And over the next several months, Raymond and Martha continued their antics and conned an unknown number of women out of money and valuables in just the same way. So although they were getting away with the crime and making a decent amount of money doing so, over time, the scam, uh, scam really put a strain on Raymond and Martha's relationship. So for Martha, watching Raymond marry other women was much harder than Martha had imagined at all because she's in love with him. You know, she's watching the guy she loves marry these women. So throughout the spring and summer of 1948, she began consumed by jealousy and insecurity. And at this point, she was like a ticking fucking time bomb. So that August, Raymond met 40-year-old Myrtle Young through a Lonely Hearts Club in Arkansas. So once again, Martha posed as Raymond's sister and did not leave their side. Even after Raymond and Myrtle got married, Martha was determined to not let them consummate the marriage. So according to one report, Martha was so determined not to allow them to have sex that she slept in the newlyweds' beds with them on their <gasps> honeymoon. Uh, right. Okay. So naturally, this sparked an argument, and Myrtle told Martha, like, you need to leave. This is our honeymoon. What are you doing? And Raymond <laughs> sensed that this was about to, like, head down a dad, like a horrible path. So he tried to like reason with the two and told Martha to just leave, just leave, 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 like leave us alone. Right. Oh my God. So in mid August, Raymond reportedly gave Myrtle an overdose of, is it barbiturates? How do you say it? Yeah. Barbiturates rendering her unconscious. So once she was down and unconscious, he and Martha stole $4,000 from her, loaded her up on a bus, like pretending like she like, you know, Put her yeah. arm around a put her on a bus that was headed towards Little Rock, Arkansas, and just left her on the bus. Dang, so she had four thousand dollars. So Pete, yeah, which I imagined more because four thousand yeah. back then, yeah. So people started to notice that Myrtle looked drugged up or like severely sick on the bus, and they alarmed like the bus driver, like, "Hey, this lady doesn't look good. Like yeah. she needs help." So she was found on the bus by police clinging to life <gasps> and was rushed to a nearby hospital. And sadly, on August 21st, 1948, Myrtle died from a hemorrhage in the hospital. Like a brain hemorrhage? Brain hemorrhage in the hospital. So it is not even clear whether the couple tried to kill Myrtle, but many believe that they most likely hoped that she would like simply sleep through the journey, wake up and not really know what happened. Um, but sadly, you know, that's not the case. She passed. Um, and a lot of people think that they didn't even know that she had died. Like, I don't think they knew that she died, right? Right. How would they? Right. So in any case, she was history as far as the couple was concerned. And before you know it, the couple was on the look for their next victim. So during the fall of 1948, Raymond answered several Lonely Hearts ads from women who seemed lonely and vulnerable. So eventually he found his next target, 66-year-old, newly widowed Jane Janet Fay who lived alone in downtown Albany, New York. Not the fucking granny. My mom is 66. I literally... Is you, oh, shit. I literally... 67. I literally put in bold, not the fucking granny. So <laughs> Janet was a devout Catholic. So in the letters that he sent Janet, he won her over by citing various religious verses and sayings. So although Raymond did enjoy talking with Janet, as we know, that is not why he was pursuing her. So Raymond's favorite thing about Janet was her money. Of like I said, Janet was a widow and her late husband had left her with a nice amount of money in his will. 
So Janet, who was lonely and just wanting love and attention, fell for Raymond's act, and she had no idea of Raymond's true intention. So How old is Raymond at this point? He's like in his 20s. That's what I thought. So that December, she invited him to come and visit for a romantic New Year's Eve dinner, just the two of them. Does she know how old he is? She, I'm sure she's thinking, damn, I'm scoring big. She just wants a guy to give her love and attention. So on the big night, Raymond met Janet at her apartment. Of course, Martha went with. But she stayed behind at the couple's hotel while Janet and Raymond had a nice romantic night celebrating the new year. So, but the next day, Raymond did introduce his sister, Martha, to Janet. The two must have gotten along well because Janet took a liking to Martha and it even invited them both to stay at her apartment for like another day. So Raymond told Janet a bunch of bullshit and flooded her with like, I love yous. You're the one for me. I'm so glad that I met you. Like we're destined to be together, blah, blah, blah. So within a few days, Raymond actually proposed to Janet, 66 year old Janet, and was obviously she was thrilled and head over heels for Raymond. And by this point, she of course said yes. So Raymond persuaded her to move to Long Island with him. But he was like, hey, before you move here, Go ahead and clear out all of your bank accounts in Albany before you come. Okay. Janet agreed and withdrew her life savings of a close to $100,000. And Martha, Raymond, and Janet were off to build a life together in Long Island. So Janet thought. So Janet thought, right? So the very next day, Martha caught Raymond and Janet in bed. Not the granny. Oh, my God. (laughs) When she saw this, Martha saw red. She was furious. She was jealous. And she could not stand what she was seeing right before her eyes. So instead of going to Raymond and expressing how hurt she felt and how sad she was, she did something else. She picked up a hammer, walked behind Janet, and bludgeoned Janet in the (gasps) back of the head to death. In bed? Or just... When she got up, yeah. So to prove his loyalty to Martha... Raymond took part in the act as well. So he noted, so she had bludgeoned her. Janet fell to the floor and he had noticed that she was still barely alive. So he grabbed Janet's scarf that she was wearing and just finished her off and strangled her to death. So once they were sure that there was no life left in her, um, they knew that they needed to do something with the body. Right. And Martha was back to being a happy girl. Like it was like a light switch. Like, okay, I feel better. Thank you. She had got what she wanted. So Martha and Raymond worked quickly to clean up the bedroom as it was covered in blood. Then the two wrapped Janet's body in bed sheets and stuffed it temporarily into a closet. Oh my God. So a few days later, Raymond <gasps> drove Janet's body to a house that he had rented in Queens. He dragged her to the basement where he broke through the floor and dug a deep hole. He then lowered Janet's body down there and filled the hole with cement, clapped his hands, not clapped his hands, washed his hands of that and said bye. Oh my God. So over the next few days, the couples ca- the couples cashed as many as uh, of Janet's checks as they could while forging letters from Janet to her family and friends, too. So in an attempt to continue to make sure her family and friends still thought that she was alive and well, they used a typewriter, and Martha and Raymond pretended to be this happy and excited Janet who was, quote, having the time of her life with her new fiancé, Charles Raymond, is what she was writing to people, right? Charles Raymond? Raymond, yeah. He went by Raymond. So Martha sent these letters uh, before they left town to all of her family and friends, Janet's family and friends, hoping just to cover their tracks. Their plan was like, they thought that their plan was like bulletproof, right? You see, Janet didn't own a typewriter, nor has she ever sent any typed letters to her loved ones ever. So the family and friends thought that this was very odd and they became very suspicious about Janet's well-being. So not knowing what else to do, they contacted the New York authorities to investigate. But by then, Martha and Raymond were long gone, and the couple decided to make their way to Alaska to lay low and kind of live off the grid for quite some time. Okay. So, so And they had plenty of money off of uh, Janet's right. will. So along the way, Raymond told Martha, hey, we need to make a pit stop in Michigan. I have another lady that we can con before we finally make our way to Alaska. Delphine Downing, love that name. I was about to say I love the name Delphine. So Delphine Downing was a 40-year-old widow, not the widow again. But I get it. It's Lonely Lonely, Hearts. Yeah. Yeah. 
So she was living in a small suburb outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, with her two-year-old daughter, Raynell. She had been intrigued by Raymond, who sounded charming and successful in his letters. Besides all of that, Delphine was particularly interested in Raymond because he expressed to her time and time again how much he loved children. Which we know is a damn motherfucking lie, because he got rid of his own children and told Martha to get rid of hers. Anyway, so Raymond and Martha met up with Delphine right after uh, arriving in Michigan. So like before, Martha introduced herself as Raymond's sister and Delphine invited the couple to stay into her home. The couple? Well, they are a couple. She didn't know that, though. She didn't know that, though. Yeah. So it didn't take long before Raymond pursued Delphine in her bedroom. And as soon as Raymond and Delphine started having fucking... started having sex martha's jealousy began to take over once again so although martha knew that this was like part of the plan like she could not help herself for the like and raymond's like you know this is part of the plan like this is bound to happen if you want the money i gotta fuck them but her husband left her right right so she she's been betrayed her whole life like i think she it's just kind of like triggered for her but still, like she knew this was going to happen, right? But anyways, so she sees it, and all she can see is red. So, but this time though, Martha restrained herself, and she didn't resort uh, resort to violence this time. Why does she keep walking in there? Because she's pissed. She wants to have a little time with them herself. So Delphine though was very suspicious of some things that had occurred. So according to one report, she was very alarmed when she caught Raymond without his wig on and saw the massive scar and gash on the top of his head she was like well that's odd like what why are you trying to cover that like is she just thought it was weird right would she not eventually see that he's washing his hair in the sink (laughs) so this mixed with the strange behavior that martha had shown while they were in her home made her very suspicious of martha and raymond's intentions so delphine actually told raymond like you're a fraud this whole situation is weird Get out of my home. You're not welcome here. I do not want you out around my daughter. You both need to leave. So in an effort to calm Delphine down, either Raymond or Martha had slipped Delphine some sleeping pills. And then she slowly began to like relax. I don't know if they put it in her water or what, but she somehow got them and she started to like relax. And the baby is there? Yes. Hmm. So with that issue out of the way, Delphine quickly like fell asleep and she was like knocked out so martha was met though with another annoyance that just drove her fucking insane do not say they hear the baby two-year-old renelle was frightened by the shouting in the back and the forth and her mother crying that she was now crying hysterically and screaming bloody murder so martha had had enough she couldn't stand the sound of this and she was already pissed about delphine she couldn't stand the daughter crying so she went and she grabbed renelle by the neck and strangled her until she was unconscious so as soon as raymond had realized what martha had just done raymond was like whoa 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 stop 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 like don't do that but it was too late because the baby had already had bruising all around her neck so raymond knew that when delphine awoke she would put two and two together and know that they had abused her daughter yeah so in raymond and martha's eyes though there was only one thing that could be done So as Delphine slept, Raymond found a handgun that had belonged to her late husband. He wrapped the gun uh, in a blanket to muffle the sound and shot Delphine point blank in the head while she slept. After their experience with Janet Faye, Raymond and Martha knew what to do next. So they carried Delphine's body down to the basement where they dug a deep hole and dumped the corpse inside. What about the baby? While Raymond filled the makeshift grave with cement, Martha was upstairs on her hands and knees, and she was cleaning up the blood in the bedroom the best that she could, off the walls, off the furniture, until, uh, so unlike last time, instead of getting the hell out of there, the couple were in no rush to leave the crime scene. In fact, they actually stayed at Delphine's house for several more days to follow, and they rummaged through her possessions, they stole everything of value. Um, but there was another problem that they had to soon deal with. So Renelle woke up from her unconscious state and again began crying hysterically. And she was looking all over the house for her mama. So the couple tried to feed her, hoping Ew. that the food would make her quiet down. They refused, uh, but she refused to eat. She was screaming. She was crying. So they tried to sing to her. They tried to hold Ew. her, but nothing was working. And the sounds of her hysterical cries were getting to them. And they were terrified that the screaming would alarm the neighbors and that they would be suspicious. 
So they decided they had only one option left. So while Raymond went downstairs to the basement to dig another grave, Martha filled the sink with water, picked up the crying baby, and shoved her body under the water and held her there until she took her last breath. They then picked up the two-year-old's lifeless body and buried her in a hole right next to her mother. Meanwhile, it had been days since Delphine or her daughter were last seen outside of their house and the neighbors were beginning to talk. They were like, have you seen Delphine? Where could she be? This is not like her. Right. Did she travel somewhere and not tell anybody? Like, I'm beginning to get worried. And before too long, someone filed a missing persons report because they were she was very involved in her community as well. Like her job. Right. So with Delphine and her two-year-old daughter, Rennell, now dead, Raymond and Martha had no plan on creeping the line leaving the crime scene because they had the house to themselves they made themselves comfortable they continued to sleep there they ate there and they thought that they would like you know just stay here until they decided to carry on their next attack so after the last two killings the duo said that they felt more in love than ever because they were doing this together (laughs) so just to level set though by february of 1949 did you just say level set yeah I know. It's very professional. I had a meeting with her today and she said it. So just to level set, by February of 1949, Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck had killed at least four people in their murder for profit spree. And they've been doing this for a year? This is going to be by fe- uh, a year. Yep. So on February 28th, Michigan police arrived at Delphine Downing's quiet suburban street and knocked on the door. Don't, don't, don't. Raymond and Martha answered the door quickly and immediately they were hit with like a million questions by the mm-hmm. police. And Martha and Raymond, like they tried to deliver a plausible cover story. They were like, oh, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. We're here because Delphine and Ronell went out of town. We're just kind of house sitting for them. That's all. They should honestly be back in a day or two. Check back then. Like they should be here. However, the cops weren't quick to believe them, given that there were so many neighbors and so many friends and family calling them concerned. They were like, "Uh, uh-uh, something is wrong. So the cops were like, all right, cool. We believe you, but we want to just at least check the house out, right? Yeah, because I'm assuming if she had a job, the baby would have to go to the caregiver right. school or something during the day. Exactly. So eventually their search throughout the house brought them down to the basement. And where when they went down there, they found that there was clear evidence of two freshly dug holes but they were grapes so the cops began to dig in the area and they stumbled across the corpse of delphine as well as Rennell. so the cops wasted zero time and they went upstairs and they arrested raymond and martha on the fucking spot so when the duo arrived at the kent county district attorney's office they seemed cool calm collected and they were more than willing to talk but on one condition they said We will tell you the full story and not spare any details of our crimes, but you have to promise us that we will be tried in Michigan and not New York City or New York. And I'm sure you're thinking, why? Like, what does it matter? Do they have ties in Michigan that will help them? Exactly. So at this time, Michigan did not have the death penalty as an option, but New York did. Given their crimes, they knew if they were tried in New York, they would be given the death penalty. Yep. So when the Kent County DA assured them that they would not be uh, handed over to the authorities in New York, the couple opened up right away and they told authorities of all the gruesome details of their murders. In fact, they signed a 73 page sworn confession that they said detailing all of their murders and cons. So according to some reports, the couple confessed to murdering as many as 20 women. But they didn't give them any further details on the other 16. And they were never found and it was never traced. So they can't outrule it because that's what they said. But it hasn't been confirmed. But I'm wondering, like, could they look at the ads back then and see which ones promptly stopped? Right. You know, know. or the correspondence wouldn't be in the. Sometimes I thought people talk to each other through classifieds. Maybe. Yeah. They did a bunch of letters back and forth, though, but. So they confessed in these the 73 confession about what they did to the women and said that it was 20 women or more. So it is possible wow. to know, uh, it is not possible to know how accurate that total is, especially since the tone of their confession was described as, quote, gleeful as expre- experienced con artist who lied as easily as breathing. 
So it is entirely possible that they exaggerated their kill count after making their deal with the district attorney too. So a lot of people thought that they were just like, okay, well, they're not going to get the death. Like, let's really fabricate this and put on a fucking show, right? So after the confession, Raymond and Martha felt cocky and on top of the world, and they knew that they weren't going to get the death penalty. So they were pretty much on a high um, for the lives that they had taken. So however, their celebration would soon come to an end for Martha and Raymond because they were about to get a taste of their own fucking medicine. The district attorneys promised not to extradite them in New York City. It was a lie. So he had pretend he had pretended to sign the document, but it did, he didn't actually ever happen. So in fact, Michigan authorities were already making arrangements to send the couple back to New York while Raymond and Martha were like word vomiting all of their crimes. Yeah. So who got conned now, bitch? Oh. So when the couples were told that they were going to be tried in New York, they were like, what? But you promised you can't do that. That's not fair. You lied. And they're looking at them like, shut the fuck up, bitch. You're a fuck. We can do whatever the fuck we want. So in early March, Raymond and Martha arrived in New York and was charged with murdering uh, Janet Fay. That was a 66 year old lady. So their trial began in June of 1949 and captured headlines nationwide and the media named them the lonely hearts killers. So Raymond took the stand first and showed, or at least pretended to, he showed a lot of remorse. He cried. The jury really felt like he did feel bad for the crimes that he had committed. So he insisted that he had nothing to do with Janet's death and tried to take back his confessions of killing her. He claimed that he only confessed to taking part in Janet's murder to protect Martha, who he said killed Janet in a violent and jealous rage, which I could see. He insisted, quote, all my statements were made for the purpose of helping Martha. I love her. It couldn't be anything else. Okay. (laughs) But Raymond didn't do much to help himself on the stand. He talked explicitly about the sex with the ladies and with Martha and like the various crimes. And he also described how he would toy with women, playing them off against each other to determine who would get to sleep with them first. Ew. Did Martha go on the stand? Yes. (gasps) And so the jury was looking at him like, yeah, dude, you're not helping your case at all. So when Martha took the stand on July 25th, her testimony started out on a very sympathetic note. And she was like trying to tug at the heartstrings of the jury. But it was fake? No. So she described to them about being a victim of incest. She, so I guess that was, I didn't catch that. So yeah, I guess her parents were... Oh, because of her brother. brother. Sorry. Yeah. I was thinking she was born of incest parents. No, so no. she would describe being the victim of incest, uh, sexual assault from her brother, um, about her bad string of luck with men and how they treated her growing up. Um, her you, abandoning her two children. She, she left that out. So she definitely played like the victim card. And get this, the jury was buying into it. So she then described how Raymond had changed her life and how he would do anything. she would do anything for him and how the two had just grown closer and that they conspired to scam vulnerable women for their life savings. Like, so far from remorse though, she showed um, like zero remorse for the victims. And she thought that she was doing it out of love. So she recalled that Raymond used to mock the, and she referred to the ladies that they would con as old hags who wrote back to him. But what about the baby? She ain't an old hag. I know, but did she bring it up? They, so they don't know about this, that. So they're only trying them right now for Janet Pay. So oh, okay. Martha went into vivid and strange detail about their relationship, describing how they incorporated Raymond's love of black magic and the occult into their sex life, doing <gasps> potions and spells during it. But when the DA asked about their feelings for each other, Martha responded, quote, we loved each other and I consider it absolutely sacred. Ew. And then she also went on to say, quote, My story is a love story, but only those tortured by love can know what I mean. I'm not unfeeling, stupid, or moronic. I'm a woman who had a great love and will always have it. Imprisonment in the death house has only strengthened my feelings for Raymond. 
Okay. <laughs> so by the end of her testimony, the jury was not as fond of Martha as they were when she had first took the stand. They I were like, you were yeah. say, as Raymond. And I was like, mm, they're both pretty bad. Yeah, they were like, this lady is... No, no, ma'am. So on August 19th, the couple were found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. So Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck spent less than two years on death row at Sing Sing Prison in New York. Yep exhausting all of their limited options for a pill. So they tried and they tried again and nobody was giving them that option, obviously. So on March 8th, 1951, 36-year-old Raymond was the first to die in the electric chair. As he was escorted, as he was escorted into the execution chamber that night, Raymond was nearly paralyzed by fear and had to be forced into the into the chair by the guards. Like he was crying. He was like holding on to the wall. Yeah. Holding onto the walls, like, no, no, I can't do it. So Raymond's final words were, quote, I want to shout it out. I love Martha. And then then they pushed the button or whatever. (laughs) So 30-year-old Martha made her own unforgettable final statement to the media. Words that emphasized her utter lack of remorse for her crimes and the twisted romance she used to justify them. So she said, this is her right before she passed, quote, what does it matter? Who is to blame? My story is a love story. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? How long do you think it took her to write that? None. I think that was from the heart, baby. Okay. So unlike Raymond, who was riddled with fear and anxiety from dying, Martha seemed steady in the face of death. She didn't really care. Martha was calm. And she did as she was told. She walked in there and sat right down. She was pronounced dead a little after 11 p.m. right after Raymond. And that is the story of serial killer Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, or better known as the Lonely Hearts Killers. That is their first interaction with murder is so disturbing because he just like takes over and he's like, I got it from here. Yeah. And that's that's what they thought true love was. Hey, babe, let me finish her off for you. That is wild. But also, like, I get the whole, you know, those women are lonely. They'll jump on any guy that shows them any sort of love or affection. But then I went down this rabbit hole where I'm reading, like, horrifying, like, tender experiences. You know, there's a lot of people who have been. I'm sure. I found one of this guy who found this other guy. They went on a date. The guy went back home with this older gentleman and the older guy tied up his date and ate his genitals Uh. and then killed him. And the picture of the guy is disturbing. But that happened about a year or two ago. So where? I don't know. Georgia, I think. But that makes me want to do a Patreon episode on terrifying dating app horror stories. Oh, yeah. I've read articles before, but so. Well, guys, thanks for listening. And if you have a lonely heart, we're just a phone call away. Yeah. Stick to us. Not a like... date. Stick to us. We'll we'll uh we'll cheer you up. Yeah. We'll give you love. But um lonely hearts can be healed. And that's the message that I have for you all today. Good night. Good night. And we will see you soon. I feel like I'm on a talk show. <laughs> Like Delilah. You know how she talks like that? Oh, I can't stand her. What? We've had this Delilah, time. if you're listening, I love you. Oh, wait. We're still recording? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I can't stand her, though. Delilah. Nah, she's so sweet. Bye.